Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. Hello, I'm Nancy. And I'm Pete. On last week's episode, we talked a little bit about how guide dogs were trained and the pros and cons of owning a guide dog. This week, we'll learn about some new skills that some dogs are learning. We'll speak with Thomas Panic, president of Guiding Eyes for the Blind, about how they are training guide dogs to not only guide, but run with their handlers. And we'll hear how this is done and how it's been working out for Thomas and his dog, Gus. But first for our tip of the week, this week's tip comes from Thomas Panic. I think that's what we're trying to bring to people is that independence, that that freedom of knowing that, you know, at their leisure, they can go run. And I do run with other people with Gus. I have four kids, uh, ages nine to 15, and I have started to teach them how to run. I don't think I would have been able to do that as effectively if I didn't have Gus Gus helping me run. So now it's about helping other people get there as well. And of course, we've heard not only from Thomas last week, but from many other guide dog owners, just how much independence having a guide dog brings to them and bringing that to Thomas's recreational life where he really enjoys running and now he can do it alone with his guide dog is just a huge sense of being able to do this independently. Let's start by very quickly reintroducing Thomas from last week's episode. My name is Thomas Panic. Not to be confused with Don't Panic. My last name is spelled P-A-N-E-K. And you work at Guiding Eyes for the Blind. Can you tell us what you do there and what your role is? Sure. I am the president and CEO of Guiding Eyes for the Blind, and we are an organization that trains service dogs for people with vision loss, and I am the president. So I'm responsible for uh, our overall objectives, which is to provide uh, the very best guide dogs to people of all walks of life all around the world. Most of our audience is visually impaired, and most of your clients are also. Are you? I am, yes. I have RP, so I've lost my sight gradually over time. I have uh, very little usable sight left. I can see if it's day or night, but beyond that, I don't have much uh, vision. So I rely on a guide dog for mobility. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. This week's focus topic is a special service provided by Guiding Eyes for the Blind, training guide dogs to run with their handlers while providing the guiding function. You found a way to put a dog to a special use. Can you talk a little bit about that? Guide dogs have been trained for for a long, long time to do the task that is guiding. We as humans usually walk around 1.8 to 3.5 miles an hour at a comfortable pace, depending on if we're 
taking our time or if we're rushing to catch the bus. But some of us walk faster and a fast paced individual might walk at five miles an hour. That's really uh, moving. And some of us like to jog or run. And I myself have been a runner my whole life. I was in cross country as a teenager. And again, I have RP, so I was losing my vision. And cross country, you've got a lot of obstacles, including trees and all kinds of other things they put on the course. And uh, I remember one time there was a bale of hay that we were supposed to jump over, and I plowed right into that bale of hay. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, I guess it could have been worse. It was a good thing it was a bale of hay. <laughs> it could have been a lot worse, to be honest with you. But, uh, but it was a wake up to say that I need to follow somebody. And my coach never understood why, no matter how well we trained, I always came in second place, no matter what, because <laughs> I was always following the person in front of me. Right. Yeah. And that kind of taught me that humans are very good at giving me the ability to follow them. And eventually, when I couldn't see well enough to follow somebody, I tethered to a human being. So volunteers would tether using well, a shoelace or a piece of cloth about 12 inches long to two feet, and I would get verbal cues um, as, as I run. There's many blind runners or incredible athletes or just people going out for a daily jog that rely on human guides to help them run. Well, I did for many years. You did? Yeah. In fact, you know, I never used a tether. I should have tried that technique. What I used to do was put my hand on the shoulder of the person I was running with, and I was generally like half a step behind. So if they were going up a curb or down a curb, I could feel them in advance. And then basically they had to take care of the width problem to know we were double wide. Yes. But in my 30s, I was running, you know, seven-minute miles for 10K races and stuff, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. That's a pretty fast clip. Well, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so you know all about guide running and relying on a human. Oh, yeah. And I've also done that. I've, I've run 10 milers, the Army 10 miler, half marathons, full marathons. And I always found that to be effective and a good way to stay safe while running. So we've actually also done a number of episodes of different ways that blind people have successfully run even very long distances. And so some of them were following humans, but some of them had some interesting novel technologies that they were ah. using with, you know, little cameras and remote guides and, mm -hmm. and whatnot. But your method is different still. Yes. I developed the program in cooperation with my training team to teach our guide dogs how to run while guiding. And that's been a real adventure with some trials and tribulations, I must say. <laughs> so that has to be a little bit special. I mean, first of all, you say the speed, but also the kind of terrain in a cross-country race is kind of difficult. What special challenges were involved in training a dog to do this? So we tried a few things to get the program off the ground. But the first challenge was, how do you connect to the dog while you're running? A typical guide dog harness has a belly strap, and some of them have a martingale across the front of the dog, and then it has a handle. First, we were worried about overheads. When you're traveling at that speed, can the dog work in a similar manner? So we had a couple of uh, goofy contraptions that we built. Uh, one was made out of a refrigerator pipe, uh, kind of copper that went around me in case I bumped into something. <laughs> 
Uh, we, we had uh, a cane attached to the harness, which was long, so that would give me more space to stop if I needed to stop quickly. Um, but eventually, we partnered with MIT and some students in what's called an open-style lab, as well as Roughware. Roughware is a company that produces guide dog harnesses and vests and things of that nature. And we put the students to the task in a semester-long project and asked them to provide us with a harness that would work and connect the human to the dog. And they developed a pretty amazing harness. Can you describe that harness and how it differs from a normal guide dog harness? It's a single point connection. So imagine almost uh, similar to a tennis racket or a golf club having a single pole. And then at the end, it connects to the dog with a Y and it allows the harness handle to go up and down. As you run, your arms go up and down and it still gives enough feedback to the blind handler as to where the dog is. Um, The second challenge we had to face was finding dogs that love to run. You remember when I said that we let the dogs choose what they want to do. And out of our uh, kennel of about 160 dogs, we needed to find which dogs really loved it. And so we had a uh, runner who was a runner in the community, a gentleman who had uh, retired as a police officer, and he wanted to give back. So he started to volunteer running the dogs and seeing which ones enjoyed it. He also took the pace of the dog to see, you know, does this dog run like you at a seven-minute clip or do they run at a nine-minute clip or maybe a 13-minute mile? And out of all those dogs, we chose several, two first, to pilot just to see if this was possible. And uh, we did find our first running guide, a German Shepherd named Klinger, and trained Klinger to work at a faster pace. And Klinger was amazing. He's a working guide for Richard Hunter, uh, who currently lives in uh, California. And Richard came to the school, trained with Klinger, and was our first running guide graduate. And once we had the pilot proof of concept done, the next step was to see if we could train existing guide dogs to run. So where was your guide dog, Gus, in this sequence of dogs that were getting trained? Good question. Gus was uh, pilot dog number two. And, you know, Gus already was a guide dog. And the second question is, we knew now that we could train a dog to work at a faster pace, to run with their handler safely. And the second question that we had to answer is, if you had a guide dog already and you wanted to add this component to the training, could an existing guide dog be trained to run? So I figured if other people should do this, I should probably put myself out there and see if it's possible. So we started with Gus, and I have to say that uh, he was very active already uh, in terms of running around the house. I have another pet dog named Onyx. He's a different story for another time, Uh, but he's a big goofball, and they love to run all the time. (laughs) And so it was pretty natural for Gus to run, but we needed to train him to work while running. Mm Mm-hmm. And so the trainers helped me learn how to run with Gus. So that was challenge number two. And I'm happy to say that Gus really loves it. Do you love it? 
Uh, I love to run. If for me, it's my peace. It's um, I'm 47 years old now, so I've been running for a long time. Uh, marathons are always tough. Uh, races are tough. Competing is difficult. But just going out the front door for a jog for me has never been possible before ever because I don't always have to rely on a human, their schedule, whether they were feeling up to it, cancellations in the morning, uh, if the weather wasn't quite right. And sometimes I was lazy too, and I wanted to stay in bed for an extra hour and I would let my guide runner down. So I love the running. I didn't love all the logistics that were involved as a blind person to figure out who am I going to get to help me run? That was the part I didn't like. So this must have been very liberating and enabling. Incredibly liberating and enabling because, you know, Gus, when he wakes up, he wants his kibble, give him some dog food and then add my coffee. And if I'm in the mood to run, I could just step out the door and go for a run. And I think that's what we're trying to bring to people is that independence, that that freedom of knowing that, you know, at their leisure, they can go run. And I do run with other people with Gus. I have four kids, uh, ages nine to 15, and I have started to teach them how to run. I don't think I would have been able to do that as effectively if I didn't have Gus Gus helping me run. So now it's about helping other people get there as well. I'm curious what kind of environments or terrains that people take these dogs through. Will you run around your neighborhood? Will you do cross-country type races? Well, we have now uh, about two dozen people that have running guide dogs from Guiding Eyes for the Blind, and about 12 are actively running with their dogs at this time. The environments vary, so it depends on where you live and what, what's available to you. Usually we suggest a familiar route, so someone like Richard runs around Sacramento and his neighborhood there uh, in a route he's familiar with. I run with Gus on a rail trail, you know, a railroad that was converted to a trail. Mm -hmm. Oh, right. Yeah. I also run with him in a kind of a forest where there are trails and horse trails, and he's familiar with that. I know that other people run with their dog on a track. We have some Paralympic athletes, uh, Sean Cheshire and also Pam McGonagall have our dogs for running guides. And I know that they enjoy, you know, either a track or uh, Pam, I know, runs on some dirt roads near her home. So it just depends on what the person is familiar with and what's available to them. The dogs are pretty amazing at adjusting. And once they get a familiar route down, they are creatures of habit. So they uh, tend to stick to uh, the route and keep us on track. So almost anything goes, I guess. Almost anything goes. I wouldn't recommend running where there's a lot of traffic or, you know, pedestrians. They can certainly work around and we'll talk about the first race, uh, I hope. But um, almost anything goes. I run with Gus in Central Park many times. As our listeners know, Pete's totally blind and I'm fully sighted. And so I guide him around a lot. And you know, if you're busy giving verbal cues, that interrupts the conversation. So we have all sorts of nonverbal cues. And when we come to a curb, I just do something with my hand and he knows what's about to happen. And I understand with, with when you're walking with a guide dog, the harness is designed so that you can tell when the guide dog goes up or down a step or a curb or whatever. 
But now this new harness you have has this extension on it. Do you still get that kind of feedback in enough time so that at the new speed you're working at, you know what's coming and you don't trip on it? You know, that's a really good question. And I think when you work with a guide dog, we're working with the guide dog first and foremost as a guide dog. And so you have all of those same cues that you would otherwise have as a guide dog handler. So he's going to stop at a curb. Uh, He would still stop at a curb when he's running. He would slow up and stop if there was a significant elevation change. Uh, And the harness is fixed. So you do feel when the dog is slowing down or when he's going up or down or turning. So you still get that feedback, but you are working at a faster pace. And that's where we say, you should know the route. So if it's, you know, a three mile or a five mile route, you should be pretty familiar with what objects you're going to face uh, along that route. And there's an opportunity for our training team. Uh, we have uh, Nick Speranza, Ben Cauley, Jolene Hollister to work with the graduate in the home environment. But I wouldn't go running necessarily in an area that I'm not that familiar with. I was in New Orleans earlier in the week and I had the opportunity to go running along the Mississippi river. And I did in that case opt uh, the first time out to go with human guides. And that way I became familiar with the route was. And then the second time I went out, I went out with Gus. I'm curious about the geometry here. Are you running alongside of the dog or in back of the dog? Pete, that's a great question. The answer is that I'm running in this case to the right of Gus, and a little bit further back than I would if I was guiding. And the harness, imagine a bicycle seat, how you can adjust it uh, to go up or down. The harness is also adjustable, and it allows me to be further back or closer up, depending on if he's guiding or if he's running. gives me that little extra space. There's a handle on the harness, which the best way I can describe that Hmm, is like a shovel. If you think about a shovel handle, it's a 3D printed handle and it's ergonomically designed to fit in my hand uh, so that I can turn it at whatever angle I would like. And that way I can position myself depending on my pace and what the environment is. If it's very crowded, I want to tighten up a little bit on it and make the hand a little bit shorter. But the best working position for a guide dog is a little bit to the side, and a little bit back. And it sounds like since the harness is adaptable, you don't need a separate harness for running and a separate harness for being guided around. This single harness does both functions. Well, that's the neatest thing that's come out of this effort is that we have redesigned the traditional American leather guide dog harness that we're all familiar with. We now have this harness. It's almost like running clothes for the dog. It's washable. The harness body is very comfortable. It's made out of nylon. It goes around the dog's body. Uh, It snaps on using, you know, something like you would close a suitcase with or maybe a uh, a backpack. And then the metal part is removable. So the dog can comfortably sit under a seat and then you just snap it right back on. But I do use it for uh, my daytime guiding as well as running. So I have a question. You've commented that it's a bad idea to go on an unfamiliar route with just you and the dog. And you've commented that it's a little tricky in crowds. 
And then you mentioned that you've raced with your guide dog, which is exactly those two situations. <laughs> How does that work? Well, those are good points. And uh, I think part of what I love about Guiding Eyes for the Blind is that we're always pushing our boundaries and our limits as to what's possible. And of course, after graduating a number of successful running guides, the question came up, can we run in a race with our running guide? And, you know, I don't like to say no. I like to say, let me see if that's possible. So the first thing that I did was I tried to find a race where Gus was familiar with the route. And since we have run in Central Park on the Central Park Loop, for those of you who don't know New York Central Park, it's a wonderful place. There's horses, carriages, baby strollers, lots going on. Uh, people walking, riding their bicycles. It's uh, structured chaos, but it's somewhat of a green environment. And we start at Central Park South and we do a loop, which is about five miles. And just so happened to be that the New York Roadrunners were running a race called the Marathon Kickoff Race, a five-mile loop on the, on the same path that Gus was familiar with. Now, for me and for Gus, who have to deal with all of those obstacles that I mentioned, uh, if everybody's running in the same direction and there aren't all of these random things going on, uh, it's almost easier than just taking a typical day in Central Park. At least uh, people are not going to run at me. Everybody's trying to finish the race. So uh, so for me, it was sort of a no-brainer that we could do a race through Central Park. Um, but in the beginning, uh, this had never been done before. I know a couple of people have run races, 5Ks, et cetera, with their dog uh, and their guide dog in some cases, um, but it had never been done sort of with a guide dog school and the race organizers, in this case, the New York Roadrunners, sanctioning it and uh, giving, for example, in this case, Gus had his own race bib with his own race number. So it was a first. And I got to tell you, it was really exciting. How did you guys do in the race? Well, you know, it's interesting. For the first race, we were put in the very back and they wanted to make sure that we didn't impact other runners race. We had a bicycle that was following us just to make sure. Uh, my wife, Melissa, who's never run a five mile race, was running with me uh, because she wanted to run the race and I wanted to help her through it. And of course, Gus was guiding me. So I got to tell you, it was a whole lot of fun. Uh, we had a veterinarian midway who was there, Dr. Beth Brenningmeyer, who was the vet chief veterinary officer for guiding us to the blind. She wanted to do a midway check just to see how Gus is doing, you know. With many of these races, you have a medical tent for the human, so we thought that would be a good idea. And we did very well. He didn't make a single mistake the whole time. Uh, he had his vet check successful. His heart rate barely increased. Um, he's pretty physically fit. The funniest part of the race were other sighted runners who were feeling pretty, um, you know, pretty sensitive about being beat by a dog. That was the funny <laughs> part. They said, don't let that dog beat me. I got to do it. I got to do it. And they were uh, trying to rush. Uh, and I was encouraging them. Come on, you can do it. And my wife finished her first five miler. So, you know, for once I wasn't tethered to somebody. I could help somebody else finish their PR, you know, personal record, which is, which is great. We had a lot of fun. It was a rainy day. So in the beginning, it was dry. It started to rain a little bit. Gus got to stop at the water stops. 
Uh, he even took a pee break. <laughs> and we finished in about 50 minutes. Uh, so we took our time. But uh, he did it safely. We proved the concept. And uh, at the end, the race organizer, Peter Saaccia, who's the head of the New York Roadrunners, greeted me like I was an Olympic marathoner. It was a nice event. What a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Now for this week's final item, specific information on how you can request a running guide dog preceded by a recap from last week about how you can learn more about guide dogs in general and guiding eyes for the blind. Anyway, if people would like to find out more about guiding eyes for the blind, where would you send them? Well, they can start with our website, guidingeyes.org. And our Facebook page. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, so you can follow Guiding Eyes for the Blind. They can call us. And the communications people asked us to provide the phone number for Guiding Eyes for the Blind, and it is 800 942 We have an admissions department. Our application is online. You can apply for a Guiding Eyes guide dog. And Ben Colley is our admissions director, and they can get you the application material. And we also, of course, uh, can provide uh, any format material for the application. So the website is a great way to learn more about the organization. One thing that's uh, neat about guide dog schools, including Guiding Eyes for the Blind, is that we're 100% funded by donations. And it costs about $50,000 to train, raise, and care for a guide dog for the lifetime of the dog. But there is no charge for a guide dog for a person who is blind. Uh, We pay for transportation to the school, as well as all of the expenses related to living on campus. We do provide a stipend for uh, the care of the dog over the year. And if you're in an area, uh, our veterinary costs are at no charge. So it's really just about making the commitment and seeing if a guide dog is right for you. And you are in New York State, but this service is available to anybody, no matter where they're located, I take it. That's right. You can apply for a guide dog at Guiding Eyes, no matter what state you're in. And we do serve individuals in other countries as well. We offer Guiding Eyes dogs to anybody, no matter where you live. And if somebody specifically has questions about running with a guide dog, is there some specific contact information or information on your website about that? Yes, uh, there is a page about a running dog program and how to apply for a running guide dog. It's the normal application process, but then on the application, it'll ask if you're interested in a running guide. And so the individual just has to uh, let them know that they're interested. There's also some additional questions. How much do you run? Do you run for leisure, casually? Do you hope to run if you're not currently a runner? And so, you know, we're not looking for uh, Olympic athletes here. We're looking for individuals who just want to get out there, go out their front door and jog or run with their guide dog. There is a waiting list right now because we do have more applicants than running guide dogs available. But my recommendation is anybody who's interested, get on the list. The sooner you get on the list, the sooner you get your dog. And if you missed any of that contact information, you can, as usual, find it in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. That's it for show number 1752. Next week on Eyes on Success, 
we'll have a year-end special in which we talk about how we create Eyes on Success. Listeners keep asking about how we create the show. And next week, we'll explain how we do everything from selecting topics and guests to recording and editing to posting the podcast and maintaining our web presence, including the tools and techniques we use at each step. If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net or call us at 585-210-8094. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. Browse the full archive of programs, find instructions for subscribing to the podcasts, and much more at www.eyesonsuccess.net. You can also find us on iTunes, and follow us on Facebook at Eyes on Success, or Twitter at underscore Eyes on Success. We hope you will join us again next week for more information and updates on products for accessible living. Thanks for listening to Eyes on Success and have a nice day.